Well, good evening. My name is Naman. Uh, I have the distinct privilege of, of preaching God's Word tonight. Um, and we are in the second Sunday of Advent, and uh, naturally we find ourselves in a text uh, that, is, that is, describes the birth of Jesus, the birth, the birth of Christ the King, uh, which comes from Matthew chapter 2. And, and I will read that for us, uh, and after I read it as, as customary, uh, if you were to respond uh, with thanks be to God. Uh, the Word of God from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For, he, for we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired, to the, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I, t- that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to, a re- until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we find ourselves in this passage in Matthew. Um, and what we'll distinctly uh, notice as we go through this passage tonight is that when a king comes... When Jesus comes to and arrives on earth, uh, everybody has a response. And it's either they accept him and worship him, or they reject him. There is, there's no in-between. There isn't like this light dimmer switch where you can set how you want to respond to Christ. But it's either all in or you're all out. And so as we think about uh, that mentality and these responses, I want to look at this passage tonight as we, as we look at three different responses to Jesus himself. So we'll look at the response of Herod, the king, the response of Jerusalem as a city, and lastly, the response of the wise men from the east, the response of the Magi. So the response of Herod, of Jerusalem, and the wise men. And before we kind of jump into the responses, just a little bit of background of where we are in the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 2, immediately following chapter 1, uh, Matthew listed this long genealogy, this, this family tree, if you will, of, of where Jesus descended from, who his ancestors are. And, and Matthew lays out uh, different figures like Abraham and David, uh, two prominent figures that would have been in the minds of these Jewish listeners as they're reading this text as well. Uh, if you think back to Genesis uh, 12 and 15 and, and the promises that God made to Abraham, the covenant that he established with him that his offspring would outnumber the stars. And that the entire world would be blessed through Abraham's family. And then when we look at David and the covenant that God establishes with David, is that through your offspring, through your line, your lineage, the true king, 
the Messiah, the one who will establish a flourishing kingdom, will come. And so Matthew wants us to have these images, these pictures in our mind when we think about Christ, when we think about the birth of Jesus and what he was supposed to fulfill, who he was supposed to be. It's a promise of this Messiah King come to restore and come to establish this flourishing kingdom. And, and lastly, with the significance of the town of Bethlehem, uh, Matt read it earlier in the scripture reading from, from Micah chapter 5, is, is also the, Bethlehem also the birthplace of, of David, uh, of, to be this prophesied King David, if you remember his narrative, was the youngest of all of his brothers who was expected not to do much at all, but was, was promised and prophesied and actualized to be a great king. And so with all these pictures in mind, we're going to look at the ways that people respond uh, to Jesus himself. So first, we'll look at the response of Herod. If you'll read back with me, starting in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, uh, the wise men come, and, and then they, they, they give this question, where is the king of the Jews? And so picking up in verse 3, it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And we'll stop there. Um, Herod, who was the king of Jerusalem uh, at, at that time, uh, was, was half Jewish himself. Uh, but he was appointed king by the Roman Empire, who is in control of the city as, right now. So he's sort of like the steward feudal king in power in Jerusalem. And Herod as a king actually accomplished a lot. There's a lot of pros to when we look at Herod's kingship. He was known as, as a great builder uh, and a great builder of public works and a great administrator. And he even began the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem after, um, after, after it was uh, torn down. And he was considered wealthy, politically gifted, and intensely loyal. So a lot of his traits were actually admired even by his enemies. So when we look at Herod, on the surface level, he seems like a, a very accomplished and very successful king. But when we start to look at his character, when we start to look at some of uh, the things that irked him, uh, we, we get to see a sense of why Herod responded the way that he did. Herod was known for, for laying heavy taxes uh, that required hard labor on Jewish people. And later in his life, he grew to be so paranoid that he actually sentenced his wife and a couple of his sons to death because he feared that they would overthrow him. Uh, and upon his death, he ordered the mass murder of several Senate members so that when he died, people would actually weep instead of rejoice over his death. So we get a little bit of a picture of who Herod was, the, the kind of fear and the paranoia and this grasp that he tried to have on his throne. And we sort of understand a little bit more of why he responded the way that he did when the wise men arrived in Jerusalem. And the wise men come and they ask, where is the king of the Jews? Now if you ask, if you, if you put yourself in Herod's shoes, you're thinking, well, I thought I was the king of the Jews. You're, I'm right here. You're looking at it. But when the, the question that asks, where is the one born king of the Jews? And so Herod is immediately threatened and faced with the reality that somebody else is to be on the throne that he is sitting on. Somebody else is is, is apparently more qualified, born to be the king, born to be in the position that he is, somebody who was only appointed and placed in that position. So Herod feels that his throne, his kingship, is threatened, unstable. Everything is now thrown off course because of these three wise men that appear in Jerusalem. 
the word that's used in the text to say that Herod was troubled there is, is maybe even a little bit of a weak connotation. But Herod was terrified. He was in turmoil. Uh, that might be a better, a better nuance of what Matthew is going for here. And so Herod uh, asks uh, his scribes, his chief priests, in response to what these wise men are asking. He gathers them and says, where is the one, uh, where is the Christ to be born? And so if we pause at his question, we now know that he acknowledges that somebody else is to be the king. Somebody else is to be this promised Messiah for Jerusalem. Uh, to Herod, Jesus, the one who is these wise men are looking for, is a threat to him and him his very livelihood. Then we continue on in the, in the narrative, starting in verse 7. It says, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And so he sees these wise men. They're, they've asked this question, and, and they're kind of throwing things off course for Herod. So he summons them in secrecy, in discretion. And that in itself will tell you that he doesn't want other people to know what else is going on. Herod heard secondhand that these wise men were kind of causing this commotion, asking these questions. And so he wants to kind of quals this as soon as possible and as effectively as possible. So he gathers them secretly and he tries to get them to tell him where Jesus is, where apparently they, they saw this star that pointed to where Jesus was going to be that led them to Jerusalem. And he's doing this all under secrecy because of his underlying fear of where the, the status of his throne, of, the status of his kingship. Uh, and then we know, ultimately, that Herod has ulterior motives. He, his explicit intent is, is stated to say, so that I, may, I too may come and worship him. And there's a little bit of irony in there as well. Herod knows the exact response that must be had towards this King Jesus. But he has other motives to try and, and to eliminate his threat. So all throughout this narrative uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see Herod's response of fear of rejection, of outward hostility. Uh, and so we, as we pause here, we want to ask the question, how does this relate to me at all? How does Herod's response towards Jesus have anything to do with me, present day, 2018? Um, and if you will indulge me, if you, if you would close your eyes, I just want to bring us through a, a very simple exercise. If you would close your eyes uh, and try to fast forward to the day of your funeral. It's a little bit of a morbid thought, I know, but... Uh, indulge me a little bit. Think about your funeral. Think about who would be there. Think about the number of people that would be there. Uh, who would give your eulogy? What would they say about you? How would they remember your life? What were sort of some of the accomplishments that you had? How, what are some of the ways in which you changed people's lives? Now you can open your eyes again. And so, as we think about those questions for ourselves, there are very deep thoughts and even fears and concerns that we might have, so that everything that we're doing right now, present day, may culminate and lead towards what is said on our funeral day, on that day, what is remembered, what is commemorated. Herod's efforts, his desires, his entire kingship was uh, a goal to be remembered, to leave a legacy to be an accomplished king, to be a great ruler. And to a certain extent, he was in the world, in the, in the eyes of the world. 
But due to his, his paranoia, his, his desire to, to hold on to the throne as much as possible, uh, and his own desire to put himself first, he fails to see the true king that is at hand. He fails to see that his legacy culminates more to the sum of his accomplishments. Uh, but it, it culminates to this, this coming of this true king in Jesus. He wants to remain his power as much as possible. And so I want to ask us, how, what are ways in which we feel that our thrones are threatened? What are ways in which we think the, the normal livelihood and the comforts of, of the way that we live our lives is threatened, is compromised because of Jesus? Are there ways that we are being hostile towards Christ? Now, they're very poignant questions as we think about uh, the season of Advent. And I, and I want to pick up on those a little later. Uh, but we'll also continue on with the response of the city of Jerusalem. How, does, uh, the, how did the Jews respond to the news that uh, this king, this Messiah, is born? If you'll read with me, starting in verse 3. Again, when Herod, uh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then they continue citing uh, Micah there. Um, the first response that we see of Jerusalem is that they were troubled, along with Herod. Uh, one possible reason that they would be troubled is that their current way of life is, is now uh, up for grabs. It's, it's going to change because of a new king. And so they're kind of troubled by the fact that, man, this massive change is going to happen. Another possible reason that they could, they could be troubled is, as the text says, they were troubled along with Herod. So because Herod felt like his kingship was, was threatened, the Jews now see uh, a paranoid king, and, uh, a very potentially angry king, who has uh, the wherewithal to murder his wife and son and multiple members of Senate. Man, if that's what he does to his own family, what is he going to do to us? The Jews are very troubled to how Herod is going to respond to this news. Uh, and the irony here is that Jerusalem, the city, is troubled and not overjoyed. When we think about the background information of the Messiah to come, of who this king was supposed to be, he was supposed to restore everything that was broken, everything that was wrong, all the persecution that they had faced. So they should have been crying out praises of joy, but instead they are troubled. They fail to see themselves also that Christ, that Jesus, was the promised Messiah from, from the Old Testament prophecies. So Herod assembles all the chief priests and the scribes, um, essentially all the societal representatives and the leaders of the city at the time. Uh, and needless to say, they would have known the very answer to Herod's question. Uh, if, if there was some sort of entrance exam to being a chief priest or scribe, this would have been like, Bible Prophecy 101. They would, they would have known where the Messiah was to be born, and that's in the city of in Bethlehem. And they do know that. They, that's what they tell him. They even cite him the very passage that he has to look in the Old Testament scrolls to find that answer. Um, but the irony here is that the weight of that is lost on the scribes as well. Because how do they respond after they tell him that? Nothing. The text doesn't say anything about how the chief priests or scribes or the people who had studied their entire lives of this promised Messiah, and they do nothing. Like, it would have taken a, a pause from a preacher 
to actually tell you that they did nothing for you to even realize that because that's how much uh, their response is just glanced over. They, sh- they should have been the first ones to be overjoyed. They should have been the first ones calling out for a time of praise and celebration. But instead, they're either indifferent or troubled along with Herod. Um, one commentator likened the response of the chief priests and scribes as a limit driver who is supposed to be picking up a VIP and has this Polaroid of the VIP, uh, but goes away, not even going to the airport at all, but goes away satisfied with just the Polaroid. Uh, we're coming up on the Christmas season, obviously, and we're in the season of Advent, and um, I'm looking back uh, last Christmas, uh, my daughter Isabel was just over one at the time, and she was just starting to grasp the concept of presents and gifts, and so Sarah, my wife, wanted to, to kind of celebrate that a little bit, and, and she made Christmas morning a, a huge deal. Uh, we were at her parents' place, and we had the tree and everything, and, and we waked everybody super early. Everybody was in their pajamas, and we sent all these gifts before Isabel, and she was excited. Uh, she didn't know what was going on, but she, she knew that like presents were involved. Uh, so she was there, she was like, kind of tearing through all the paper, opening up the boxes, and we were just kind of recording all of her reactions. But after about five or ten minutes or so, after she had seen what all of her presents were, after about five or ten minutes, uh, we saw her uh, more intrigued by the wrapping paper. Like she was sitting there, she was tearing it, she thought it was a funny sound, so she started laughing, so that kept her occupied. And Sarah and I were, were sitting there in bewilderment, like, the dress and the, and the stacking toys and all these shiny things aside, she was sitting there playing with a wrapping paper. Um, and I share that to say that there are things in our lives where we get to have a gift, but we overlook it for the filler. We overlook it for the box or the bubble wrap or what have you, and we overlook the true gift. <coughs> we become indifferent to Christ because of the things that occupy our lives, because of the things that we want to prioritize. And so I want to ask us tonight is, what is our filler? What is our wrapping paper? Is it uh, job or career success? Is it recognition and and praise for the work that we've done? Is it financial stability, financial prospering? Is it relationships, like wanting to be married, wanting to be in, in deep friendships? Is it the success and, and thriving of our children? And I, and I ask these things not to say that all of these things are bad. These are all inherently great things that God has gifted us with. But what are ways in which we have prioritized these things over the true gift of Jesus? How have we grown indifferent? How have we grown callous to the rhythms of life? And how have we approached this Advent season overlooking the gift that Christ has given us in himself. The response of Jerusalem. Lastly, we'll look at something a little more encouraging, something a little more uplifting uh, in the the response of the wise men. If you read with me, starting in verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Uh, First of all, who are these wise men? 
The only thing that the text says is that they are wise men from the east. So they most likely would have been from Babylon or Persia. And wise men at the time were uh, pagan scholars who specialized in astrology or astronomy, uh, dream interpreting, and they were considered like magicians of their day. So in the pagan culture, in the pagan world, they would have been considered the spiritual elite of their, of their class. And so these wise men come to Jerusalem first because they see a star uh, way off from wherever they're from. Uh, and it's a very common belief at that time that stars heralded uh, the birth of great kings. In folklore, they, it was said that uh, on the nights that uh, Caesar and Alexander the Great were born, they were unusually bright stars. So it's a, a common notion to people, readers in, in, in these days, that stars uh, promised great kings. And so these wise men come because they see this bright star, and it leads them to Jerusalem. Uh, so whatever, wherever they're from, they would have made a, at least a 40-day journey, a 40-day pilgrimage to come to Jerusalem just because they saw one bright star. I don't know about you, but it, it takes me everything that I have to get up in the middle of the night just to go to the bathroom. But to, when you see a star, to travel for 40 days is remarkable. Um, and these supernatural occurrences that happen in this narrative, the, the appearance of these stars, the one that leads them to Jerusalem, and also the other one that leads them to Bethlehem, and the very dream that tells them not to return to Herod after they've met Jesus, uh, is not something to glance over as well. There's debate of whether or not these things are natural or supernatural, but for all intents and purposes of, of this passage and this narrative, these occurrences are from God himself. And what, what, God, uh, what Matthew is trying to say here is that by using astrology, by using bright stars, and by using dreams to communicate to the Magi, God is showing us that he communicates to us in the ways that we understand um, that we might understand. And so as he is presenting uh, the opening chapters of this gospel, we see the very Magi respond and worship in the ways that we would expect the Jews and the king of Jerusalem to respond, but they don't. Matthew is introducing that the gospel, that Christ is being introduced to not just the Jews, but of all the watching world, of the Gentiles as well. He uses stars, he uses dreams, he uses the very means in which these wise men would have very understood very clearly to bring to them this true gift. And so then the wise men come, they find the house to where Jesus is, and they bring gifts. And uh, gifts were a sign of, of paying homage to somebody in a position of royalty, so they acknowledge that Jesus is the royal king, and they bring him these gifts they were expensive, they were highly valuable, but it was a way of them saying that these treasures don't compare to the treasure that is before us. Um, as a preacher and as, as somebody who is up here, I'm very tempted to now say, go and do likewise. Go and worship Jesus in the same manner. Don't be like Herod, don't be like Jerusalem where you're either hostile or indifferent or both, but worship Christ in, in his fullness and his glory and his majesty. That would be the easy thing to do, but I don't think that's what Matthew does here either. Um, Christianity and our response to Christ is, I think, at the very least, those things. Uh, but if we look closely at the very gifts that are given um, to Christ, I want to investigate that a little further. Um, the wise men would have brought more than just frankincense and golden myrrh. They probably had a, a whole other gifts to give Jesus. Uh, he was a, a toddler at the time, so maybe they had some, some baby toys for him as well. But uh, 